Welcome back to the Dad's Group Podcast. My name is Burnsy. And my name is Blair. Burnsy, mate, do you like stats? I love stats. Hit me. Well, did you know that 95% of mum's first contact for help and support is the dad? Did you know that that's, stat? That's huge. It's massive, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so th- this is just one of the ways, this podcast is one of the ways that Dad's Group's trying to help equip dads to be to be that support for their partners, right? So we're about helping fathers, helping families. And what we aim to do on this podcast is bring you conversations will build up your fathering so that you can support your partner in the many challenges they're going to have. We aim to help you and equip you to be the dad that you want to be. This podcast is one of the ways that we do that. For sure. And I know for me, um, like for our family, me being part of dad's group has helped our family life. So even though it's called dad's group, the flow and effects are massive. Absolutely. Exactly right. Helping fathers, helping families. That's what we are all on about. But let's jump into it. I'm excited for this episode, mate. Who have we got this week? So this week we've got Pippa and Carly. They've started the Brisbane Feeding Clinic in Brisbane here. And yeah, uh, Pippa is a occupational therapist, has been an OT for 30 years. And Carly is a uh, speech therapist and she's been... uh, Speech therapist? Is that what they call them? Speech pathologist? Speech yeah. therapist? So speech therapist, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, and um, let's she cut speaks. that. She speaks. No, no, <laughs> I just keep it in. She speaks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's a speech therapist. Because in my head, I, I, I just think speechy. So speechy. <laughs> it's, like, What's, yeah. it's the second part of that. But yeah, so, um, good. But Carly, back to Carly. She's been a speechy for 20 years. So between the two of them, huge amount of experience not to mention yeah. that they're both mums in their own right and so yeah it's a really great conversation that sort of goes back and forth between their professional expertise particularly in that space of um, food and feeding with kids um, transitioning from you know from from milk into solids and and all the fun things that come with that but then also just anecdotes from their own parenting which is Mm. yeah it was really 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 cool to to chat with them because yeah there was so much experience both professionally but also as parents themselves oh man sounds like it so you know if we're on about helping fathers helping Mm -hmm. families why should Mm -hmm. dads tune into this episode yeah look i think where dads will get a lot of help out of this one again like professionally these guys both pepper and carly super super experienced so you're going to learn a lot about as a dad like what are some of the supports out there if your child is struggling or if your family is struggling and so you know occupational therapy and speech therapy are two big ones and you're going to get a better idea of what those two roles actually do what their functions are um you're going to learn about that in the context of eating and food which you know i'm a i'm a i'm a bloke that's my number one thing so i like eating i would like to eat more with my kid so amen obviously the better he eats the more enjoyable that is everyone so Mm. you're going to learn more about that and you're also going to hear again like we've we've mentioned this other times we've had mums on the podcast you're going to get that perspective from the other side of things. And, you know, the girls bring so many cool little hints and tips, again, just from what they've seen from dads walking into their clinic, but then also just from their own experience of, yeah, what their partners have done and what's been helpful. So, you know, three big takeaways there that you'll get from this episode. 
And great, mate. And you're, you know, you've been doing an amazing job just bringing these episodes to dads, you know, to help equip them. But at the same time, mate, you get a lot from them. So what's wow. one thing that you, this would out to you that you, like personally for you? Yeah, I think the big takeaway from me, um, besides just learning more about, you know, what, what speeches and OTs do, um, is at one point we were talking and, and Pippa made the point of like, in the early days, dads, you, we go to as many appointments as we can. Like there's that excitement. You want to know as much as you can. If you can get there, you want to be supportive. And then that starts to fall off. But she sort of pointed out how it's really important to keep that presence going. And particularly like in the toddler years. So, you know, new dads listening to this, if, if you've hit the toddler sort of era of your parenting, still go to the appointments because those kids aren't going to sit still. And, yeah. you know, mum's got her hands full and she's only half listening or, or distracted from what Doc is saying. So go along to the appointment, help out with the kid. If, you know, play with him in the corner or her in the corner, you're going to get brownie points for winning, uh, for, for helping out. So that's a win. And you're going to hear from the doctor as well. So, you know, mm. it's an all-round win and it's a way that as a father you can help your family. Mm, exactly. Yeah, equipping ourselves as well, you know, yeah. going out and getting that information ourselves. We're not, uh, you know, we don't want to be in the passenger seat of our um, parenting journey with our wife driving. We want mm. to both be driving in a safe way. I don't know how yeah. to say that in a clear metaphor, but it it's, sounds it's good like in my head. learn to drive car, you know, with the yeah. two steering wheels and the two Absolute sets of brakes. Good yeah. stuff. I love yeah. that. I love yeah, that. Yeah. But, uh, mate, I'm so keen for for this episode (laughs) and you could really help us out as well by liking, subscribing and sharing this episode. That's going to be a big, big help for us. So please, please get onto that. We'd love that support. Leave us a review. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We want to hear what you think. Absolutely. And that helps us, gives us feedback on future Mm -hmm. episodes too. So we want your voice in these episodes. So please, reviews, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from them. Uh, But until then, enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Dads Group Podcast, Pepper and Carly. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thank you. We, we always like to start with a check-in, so I'll ask you both, how are you going out of 10 today? Pretty good. It's week one, term four, back at school in Queensland. It. <laughs> and it's a short week, so that's always a good thing. So, you know, yeah. and it's almost the weekend. So, you know, that's nine it. out of 10, I'd say, today. Nice. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd go 10 today for very Mm. similar reasons, just that, and I was away on holidays for the whole holidays in a, and just had the most relaxing holiday, so. Oh, that's awesome. A good holidays is so restorative. (laughs) We, we, uh, we went camping ourselves and uh, we came back and I'm like, I couldn't believe how zen I was. It lasted only a very small amount of time, but it was nice. I wonder if you could introduce yourselves uh, to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, your families and the work that you do together. Okay, so um, so I'm Pippa and I'm an occupational therapist. Uh, I am married to Wayne, who is about to graduate with the Masters of Educate or Masters of Teaching or something, so becoming a teacher after multiple career changes. Um, and I have three kids. So my kids, uh, which is why the holiday was so refreshing, is my kids are 16, 15 and 13 and all very easy. If they want to walk to the shops at the beach, I say, see you later, you've got your own money, off you go. Um, 
I've been in OT for nearly 30 years and uh, all that time worked in feeding and worked a little bit of adults when I lived overseas, but mostly I've just worked with kids that whole time. And I'm Carly. Um, I'm a speech pathologist and um, I'm married to Dave and my husband is an Australian um, paracycling coach. Um, and we've got five boys. Um, our eldest is 15. And then we have 13-year-old triplets. So this year we've gone from one teenager in the house to four, <laughs> which has been interesting to say the least. Um, and our youngest is eight. Um, so we have a relatively noisy, busy household with lots of sports and lots of boys that don't like to sit still. Um, <laughs> so we also went camping on the school holidays and so that was lots of mountain biking we've only ended up with one broken wrist out of that um little trip so that's a win for us um <laughs> and I've been a speech pathologist for just over 20 years I've always worked with kids uh, my early career was with um children with cerebral palsy and working with children with disabilities um, and I've always had an interest in feeding and supporting um, children with feeding skills and then obviously having my own children, especially the triplets who were born prematurely. Um, I then understood as a mum how stressful feeding little people can be and um, when that path doesn't go exactly as planned, how stressful that can be. And um, so that's really the area of speech pathology that I've enjoyed working in and then continue to work in throughout my career. Awesome. Uh, you both have such incredible experience. Like, uh, we're really lucky to have you. But I wanted to dig into first your parenting stories because you both have what sound to be very active and full and, and lively family. So I wonder if you could share with us what, what's been a highlight of your respective parenting journeys. I had a thought about a think about this this morning and I, I kind of wrote something down, but I think it's something different altogether. I think one of the highlights of for me is being brave to, I guess, challenge a little bit of the status quo, the current status quo. And my, so my husband was the stay at home dad for all three kids for the majority of their lives. Um, but also to take leave without pay when we had number three and, and just, live very very cheaply but you know just not stress about the money and just enjoy the time with them um so yes yeah, so a lot of just just being brave about spending the time and not worrying about money where we where we didn't have to um and I know that's not for everybody uh but we were pretty poor for a few years but we just we had a lovely time just enjoying our family. And then once Aaron was three, I went back to work, but Wayne still stayed home. So, um, yeah, I think that's been uh, the highlight of my journey because it is a bit different <laughs> now because there's so much push that everyone should be working in and, you know, that it's all about the money when at this point, at that point in time and things like that. Yeah, and I, I, out of my joke to people when I read this question and said that mine is uh, keeping five boys alive on a day, <laughs> <laughs> which it probably still is because, you know, boys do tend to be bigger risk takers than girls and want to push their bodies to their 
extreme. I'm sure there's many stories I tell each week when Pippa and I are in clinic that she just looks at me with, a, <laughs> with only one boy. Uh, and my poor boy is the middle of two girls. So he has, I think he had a, a rude awakening at about age 13 that he actually was a boy. And um, he, we've never had a broken bone. We've never, we've had like one stitches. So Carly's forever like, oh, we're at the hospital again. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at patching them back together I often get asked if I'm a nurse when I appear at emergency and I'm stereo-stripped a child back together so um so yeah I mean our our family life has changed a lot over having children and probably when I first um had four little people under two for a little while there um my husband worked shift work and so we would kind of tag team and I would do a little bit of work in amongst him um on the shifts when he was on night shift and I was um had some time during the day but now they are bigger he now travels a lot for work um overseas um so sometimes I run the ship solo for a month or two at a time um and so that means I run it 200% I think but then when he is home he has a fair bit of flexibility which is nice um and so yeah, I think it's it, similar to Pippa. It's, you know, you make lots of those sacrifices when your children are little to be around. Um, but now that I do have four teenagers and four at high school, it's nice to just got some report cards last night that they, you know, other people do say they are delightful human beings and that and they actually you know and they're good company like as you know school holidays and we've been away and just having them at home that you know as they're starting to grow into teenagers and you know almost young adults our eldest um you know that they're good they're good people to be around and that they're good company so it just reminds you that you have done the right thing most of the time yeah 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 i love i love both your stories and and I think too, for our dads listening, like just hearing about the way that your, your, both your husbands sort of played that role differently and had different workloads. And I, I think for dads, just to that reminded that it doesn't matter what sort of is happening on the other side of things, but what's that presence and that quality time that you bring to it. Um, and from the sounds of where, um, you know, how your kids have come along, it sounds like that quality time has been way more important. So yeah, I'd like to dig in now, you know, new dads, are sort of confronted with a lot of different information and you sort of are meeting all of these people that are engaged in your kid's life and in your partner's life and they all have these different titles and they all sort of blur about what exactly each one does. So I want to take advantage of having an OT and a speechy here to really sort of ask, okay, what what does each do? What What's the role that each one plays within the development of our children? Yeah, and so occupational therapy is slightly trickier in that it deals with occupation and occupation is not just the job that you do but it's everything you need to do in your day-to-day lives and that might be sleep it might be um getting dressed it might be being a member of a family it might be having a social you know outlet um it includes play it includes um driving being a sibling, uh, and then there's some developmental milestone-y stuff in between that blurs. And, you know, ultimately, because it's about occupation, it 
does tend to overlap a lot with any other profession that might be dealing with 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 a person at a rehabilitation or a um a habilitation so teaching the skill in the first place so rehab rehabilitation is reteaching but just teaching the skill in the first place and so you know if if any families have OT involvement they might be going oh but you know they're doing some stuff that the psychologists did or they're, they're doing some communication work or they're, they're doing balance and walking they are but they're doing it at a functional level so where is it impacting on the day-to-day lives of that person with kids too physios speeches psychologists all those other professions tend to look functionally too if they're good at their job um and so there is always a lot of overlap um as well so what i tend to say as an ot is that i do a little bit of everything but there are people who do some things better than i do so I can do some level of language and communication and even some speech sounds just for, you know, if they're not seeing a speech therapist and they don't have access, but certainly a speech does it way better than me. And there would be a point where I go, oh, it's not just like one little sound because I know, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I can do a little bit, but, oh, this is bigger than me. You need to go and get the speech or we're doing emotional regulation or parenting or whatever this is there's bigger stuff going on you need to see the psychologist and so OT does get a little bit murky um because it just because occupation is everything you do every day <laughs> yeah so it's a bit of a generalist sort of it, thing it and, can and be and then that which is why a lot of ot's tend to specialize like i have in feeding i do have a general clinic where i do see some general kids but you know, feeding is my specialty and you'll get OTs who are, um, whose specialty is equipment or um, lots of, you know, social skills or I'm trying to think of something else, <laughs> motor, motor development or something like that. So, And so, Adam, I'm a speech pathologist and probably most people know speech pathologists for supporting children with speech sounds or the child that's had the lisp and can't quite make a certain sound correctly. Um, and that's definitely a big part of what we do and what we're taught to do at university. And um, so when we look at how a child communicates, some of the areas we support children with are those speech sounds, so how they actually make the sounds to be able to express um, and, and talk. Um, and then we look at their language skills, so how much they both understand Um, with language so following directions um, and also their medical expressive communication skills so how they put words together to make a sentence tell a story and so in older children that starts to um, as they start school that might be also supporting in areas like literacy skills and reading and writing um, or children that might be having fluency issues with their speech um, like stuttering And they're probably the main areas when speech pathologists are working with children that families know about. Um, And some families do know that speech pathologists work with swallowing in adults, um, but often not as commonly in children. So often families will say, my GP or my paediatrician's told me to see a speech pathologist for this feeding issue, but, you know, they're not even talking yet. and so we are trained in um, all the oral anatomy of the of the face, um, head and neck. And so are probably one of the few professions, along with um, dentists and probably lactation consultants, that have that area of 
um, expertise to be able to look at how the structure and the functions, so how the muscles work in that area, um, both in, in those functional skills, so eating um, and swallowing and also the speech and communicating um, from there. Yeah. Well, already I'm starting to get a bit of a picture in terms of how those two roles come together in terms of supporting feeding. And, and I probably should note at this stage that um, you both are part of the Brisbane Feeding Clinic, hence why we're talking about feeding, just in case, um, you know, the listeners haven't read the episode description yet. But I wonder then, uh, in terms of your work and, and in terms of particularly with the Brisbane Feeding Clinic, at what point should parents think about you know, asking their GP about these services or, or seeking that out, um, is it a referral only sort of thing or can they come independently of, of a referral? Like how do parents access this and, and why should they consider, um, you know, coming and accessing that, that specific um, therapeutic sort of lens that you bring? So we, we don't need a referral. Um, mm-hmm. Parents can access us directly uh, through our website is the easiest to email us. But, um, and often what happens is that they get a lot of advice from other family members or, or their GP that says, oh, they'll just grow out of it. They're fine. They're okay. Don't worry. All toddlers are fussy. And I would say that's not entirely true. <laughs> um, and one of the things that Carly and I have worked really, really hard in our clinic model is to build... Um, a framework that means that when you come to see us, you leave after one session with a plan and many children and families don't need to come back and see us because they know why the issues are occurring and what they need to do next about it. And they can, they're welcome to come back and see us, but we've given them all the information, everything that we've understood about their child and handed it back to them and said, this is what your, your next steps are. So um, so sometimes, you know, it feels a little bit daunting. You're like, oh, I've got to pay for two people. I don't, that's a lot of money. But, you know, to, we, we, I often have a long conversation with parents saying, it's okay. You, you know, that one session is going to help you fully understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um there's a couple of other ways to access us in terms of getting rebates. So you can get a Medicare um, care plan from your GP. Again, GPs can be a bit funny about um, accessing them and others are great and we'll do it, um, which just means you get a little bit back on Medicare. Um, and then we also, if, if a child has NDIS funding, they can use that to access us as well. Really, we just see, we see such a wide range. So we see families who... I just worried or just say, look, I've had an older child who had some really significant feeding issues due to a disability. I just want to give this next, you know, toddler the best start. Just tell me what I need to know. Or, you know, they come in, a mum and dad will come in and dad will go, I think everything's okay. Mum says I'm really worried. It's like, if you're really worried, you need to hear what we need to say. And we can say generally everything's okay, but there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's why you're worried. Now you know you're going to be less worried. Um, so at the point at which to come to us is any point, really. Yeah, and, and I wonder what are some of the things that you're seeing? Are, are there like common issues that you see in children or is it, 
I'm, I'm assuming it could also like just be a whole breadth of things, but what are some of the things that you're seeing? Cause uh, like I know for, for us, for my wife and I, we've only got one child so far. And so you sort of hit that point of, well, are we just making this up? Do we just, so what are some of the things just to sort of normalize accessing a service like the Brisbane feeding clinic that parents, when they're hearing this, they'll go, Oh, actually that's something I could, could look into. Well, I guess, you know, as a parent and as a new parent, you've got lots of information available to you. And Pippa and I regularly say probably too much these days sometimes (laughs) because you don't always know where to start. And that's the other thing about coming and chatting with someone like us is that we can help you weed through the information that you do have because you have all that when's a child supposed to do all of these things from a developmental perspective. Um, And the biggest thing to remember is that all children do develop differently and so if they don't tick off that milestone you know at that exact date that's okay but if you are concerned and it's causing you you know stress and you're worried about it then that's when we want you to come and see us and so when we're looking at like early feeding that might be you know um we work closely with lactation consultants if babies are breastfeeding but also bottle feeding um so if that's becoming you know really stressful and caught you know lack lack of you know, sleep and stress for mum and dad. We want to see those families to help to problem solve and try to work out some strategies to make it easier for everyone and have Bob be more settled. Um, and then as children are introduced to solids, they might be little things like babies that continue to gag on on um, solids as you introduce finger foods and that sort of thing um, for longer than you would expect. Um, and that can be tricky, again, when it's your first child um, because you're just reading information and not knowing. And sometimes it is just us reassuring families that they're doing everything. And, you know, there's a few reasons why it might still be happening a little bit, but here's some strategies to go home and practice on um other things might be you know um coughing vomiting those sorts of reflux um we work with lots of children who have allergies and intolerances along with other health professionals um like dietitians because they might have had a rough start to, to learning about food because they've been pain and discomfort associated um, with those um or they might be a child that does have a diagnosed medical condition or a diagnosis that means that you know structurally or functionally their body systems are, are going to have to work a bit harder to be able to eat and drink easily and so how can we support parents to to modify things and support the child at, at the rate that they're ready to develop those skills yeah and i imagine for a new parent um you know particularly when we're talking about the functional sort of stuff you you take that for granted yourself as an adult so you sort of you don't think about that as a first step with with your child when they transition particularly into the solids and the finger foods so um yeah that's a really great point that um yeah like it it often is just about reassuring (laughs) parents that actually know like it's okay like just maybe consider this this or this so Hmm. And we often talk to parents, Adam, about, you know, eating is you don't really think yourself about it, how you eat or how you chew or how you swallow because it's to us as adults, you know, we, lots of us might not do it perfectly if someone analysed how we did it, um, but we compensate and so therefore we manage um, and we can get the food and the drink in. Um, but, you know, kids are still developing those skills um and so there's lots of different underlying reasons that might 
make it tricky for them. Um, and the biggest thing that Pippa and I are passionate about is helping parents understand all those little reasons rather than just thinking that, oh, it's a behavioural thing or this child's, you know, just being difficult or um, sometimes we hear it's a lazy baby. Babies are not lazy. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're trying to communicate and tell you something. Um, and so yeah. if they're the messages that you as a parent are getting from your child that this is hard work, this is causing pain or discomfort, then we want to work with you to help support you with developing those skills. Uh, uh, do you have any sort of tips or, or hints for parents as they transition into those finger foods and into, you know, more solid foods um, to to sort of help their kid transition into developing those skills? Are there any sort of, yeah, I guess initial things to consider when you're, when you're approaching that transition? I think, um, Adam, the, the biggest thing that we talk to parents about is anxiety. And so when, and, and as parents, we're always worried about our kids. Like we just never stop worrying and, but kids pick up on it. And I often say that um, kids are really great observers, but they're really terrible at interpreting. And so they will observe anxiety, but they don't know what it means. Um, and so they'll make something up, even the tiniest of kids. I think it's from um, as young as 11 months old, um, children learn, no, it's earlier than that. But anyway, children learn from a really, really young age to avoid the feelings that we struggle with. So, you know, if we, if we hate crying and we try and make things better all the time, really, really early on these little babies learn to avoid those feelings because they know that we don't like those feelings. So, um, and that's, that's an incorrect interpretation, but it's a very good observation. So, you know, following following the the child's lead and not worrying about what they read their child should be doing or what they somebody else told them their child should be doing or even the GP or the pediatrician told them the child should be doing, saying, "What is your you my my little person who's sitting in front of me? What are you telling me? When you're pushing away that spoon, and I don't think you've eaten enough. If you haven't eaten enough, what else could it mean?" Um, or do I just trust and, and not try and feed you again and just wait a little while and, and give it another go later? Um, things like that. So just watching their children and following their leads. I love that because too many times my little fella will yeah push push the plate away or, or chuck the spoon across the room and, and you get so frustrated like you need to eat if you don't eat then you know all of these you know sort of things are going to happen and it's going to be horrible <laughs> and painful and I've got I'm going to get in trouble and um and then like two minutes later he's hoeing into it so I think that uh, yeah that point about staying curious and staying attentive and being in it with them um, rather than, yeah, sort of getting frustrated because this is the process or this is a step. Um, yeah, I think that's so helpful to remember. Um, and, yeah, 
I, I think too, like the thing for me is I, I get so frustrated because he's a messy eater. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I want to throw something away because it's been put on the floor and he's like climbing out of his chair to eat it off the floor. So often often we have the second dinner, which is eating eating whatever's been chucked to the ground. Um, uh, we do spend a lot of times working dads through coping with mess and learning. <laughs> Learning about food is very messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and probably the other thing is is that like everything in parenting, that feeding is about monkey see, monkey do, and that, you know, copying, you know, that, you know, you need to sit with your kids and eat with your kids and show them how you eat and chew and swallow and 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 do those physical activities for them to learn um, because that's how we learn everything um, by watching others um, and especially if there's foods that you want your child to eventually eat and accept um, they need to see you eating them um, and that mum and dad you know know how to eat these and they feel safe eating them so they must be okay because that's why they're putting them on my plate when we were making that transition it was like oh well, do we just you know, do the purees or do we try and change what we eat to, you know, really model, you know, so that we're all eating the same thing. Is there, is there a better way of doing that when we're transitioning into solids or is it sort of dealer's choice? A bit, of, a bit of both probably really because um, what you want to do again is follow your child's lead. And, you know, I think that everybody's probably heard of baby led weaning and it's a really big Certainly when my kids uh, were babies, the book had first come out and so everyone was talking about it, but they all have these different versions of baby weaning. And essentially, um, you know, the author, authors of that book and anybody who, who has done any research on it, baby weaning is about responsive feeding. And so it's about watching the, your baby's cues and seeing what they're interested in and what they're able to do. And so, you know, all three of my kids didn't eat purees. We just went straight for, you know, giving them stuff that we had, but we modified it. And, but they don't have any oromotor difficulties. They don't, they, don't, they don't struggle with chewing or eating and they weren't worried about food and we weren't worried about food. There was nothing else going on for them. So that made it easy. If it's harder, then we need to go back some steps and say, oh, well, what? where's the easy piece? Well, obviously you can't self-feed when you're a, you know, a three-month-old, you can't self-feed yourself purees. So how do you do that and still be responsive? It's about you can feed, spoon-feed the child, but you watch for their cues, you wait for the open mouth, you do what they need. You know, we have some quite impaired little bubs that we see where they do need that first taste kind of pushed into their mouth because they have no other way of understanding what's coming. Um, because they've got, you know, lots of other physical impairments and things like that. But again, teaching parents how to do that in a really responsive way, not just shoving it in, oh, they need the first taste. Well, yeah, this little baby does. But how do we do that in a really kind way that helps them learn to trust food? Um, but, yeah, and so then for your regular kids that don't have a lot of other things going on, it's just watching them. What what, do they, what are they interested in? They want to sit on your lap and just eat off your plate. Well, they're not going to be 27 and eating off your plate, so let's go. Um, so, yeah, there's no right or wrong answer but the, except for just being responsive. And um, the other thing I, I meant to say before in terms of, the um, 
some of the 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 key to keys to successful eating and feeding is no pressure. Pressure always backfires. <laughs> and they pick it up. They pick up on the pressure. And and particularly in this age of, you know, sort of everything being captured for for Instagram or whatever, like, you know, when you're hovering over them with a phone of like eat the banana. <laughs> I, I want to they... catch this moment. <laughs> and we also talk about the pressure that looks and feels like good parenting, but it's still pressure and it's not okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I wonder, you know, before Carly, you mentioned about like dads need to sort of be trained of like, it's okay for it to be messy and, and, and for it to be, you know, a little bit, not, um, you know, a little bit chaotic. <laughs> um, I, I wonder, particularly because, you know, breastfeeding is often the start of the feeding journey for so many kids. And even when you introduce a bottle, I think, you know, for a lot of dads who are at work all the time, you know, it's sort of, you become the secondary feeder doing the night bottles or, um, so how can, how can dads really engage in the feeding journey? And, you know, especially because a lot of dads don't want to do the research and sort of learn about stuff that's out there. So what are some of the things that dads can, you know, sort of get excited about when it comes to, um, to feeding, when it comes to moving into solids, when it comes to experimenting with different foods, that sort of thing, what are some things that dads can really get their hands on and and get excited about with feeding? I guess, you know, from that very first newborn phase, you know, the breastfeeding part is only one aspect of those daily care tasks. So, you know, there's lots of nappies to change, there's baths to be had, there's, you know, there are all those other lovely ways dads can interact and attach, you know, have that attachment with their their child. Um, and definitely for mums, you know, that are feeding and might be finding that really, you know, tiring and physically exhausting when there's that lack of sleep too in the early days you know being able to feed and then pass that bub over to dad to help settle um you know means that they are being part of that journey um definitely from a bottle perspective the more um that you know mums are having to return to work what we do know is that um bubs actually need to be introduced to bottle early on if you want to your baby to accept a bottle um you know when they get older or even you know if you're thinking i'm going to return to work at six months then you have a bit of a window of opportunity with with bottle feeding in that um a baby learns to feed by what we call uh, their reflexes so a sucking reflex and so when they are first born you know a, a mother may choose to either breast or bottle feed. Um, but even if the baby's breastfeeding early on, if a bottle's not introduced in those first few months and they learn that skill, often they find it really tricky to learn it later on once that reflex has integrated. And that kind of happens around the three or four month mark. So we get lots of frantic phone calls from mums having to return to work around that, you know, six or seven month mark and bub isn't taking a bottle. They only want to breastfeed. Um, and so that's good to know because lots of families don't know that, that there is that little bit of window of opportunity that, you know, if you are planning to return to work or want to be able to have a break and to leave with dad that having that regular bottle practice um you know from early on is beneficial for the baby um from there and then once solids are introduced you know everyone can have a go um, with that 
Um, you know, and it's and how do, what does that look like for your family? How does it fit into your routine? You know, who has to get out the door quicker? Who's got the most time in the mornings? Um, you know, it looks a lot different for families now than, you know, it may have, you know, multiple years ago. And even probably when Pippa and I were, were home and could juggle that a little bit more with our with our kids when they were young. But, you know, you know, where can we have family meals during the week or on the weekend to be able to sit down? It doesn't have to be every meal. Um, but what does that look like so that children have at least one parent um, sitting with them and eating with them and sharing in that enjoyment? of food too. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's so much information. Yes, breast milk is best for babies when it is best, but for some babies it's not, or it's not possible. And so there's so much shame for mothers who either choose not to for whatever reason or can't or, you know, have, haven't had the right support. And for dads to sit with that with them and just say, that's really hard. That's really disappointing. Um, and again, you know, dads don't like to sit, well, you know, people generally, but dads don't like to sit in the sad space or the disappointment space very long. Just, All right, move it on. You know, sometimes I come home and I was like, oh my gosh, my day. And my husband just wants to fix it. I'm like, I don't want yeah. you to fix it. I just want you to say, oh, that's a tricky thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fix it. it. Just, I just need 24 hours. Um, yeah, to just so to sit with that with their partners and and be okay. I don't need to fix. I don't need to fix it. You could you can just be really sad that it didn't work out, or that you have to go to work back to work for whatever reason because that does happen. You know, I, I talked about our journey, but some people just don't have that uh, don't have that flexibility. Um, and to be sit with that disappointment. Yep, that's that's what we've got. But we also know that breastfed, bottle-fed, formula-fed, whatever, kids grow up into adults and you cannot tell the difference between a breastfed adult and a formula-fed adult. Nobody can. Um, it's just what we do in those early years. Yeah, yeah. I um, go into your point, Carly, about helping with the nappies and I know since we've been on solids, um, that's been a crucial role of seeing how it comes out the other end, uh, you know, really understand, okay, like how's he responding to this? Is he digesting? Is he dehydrated? Does he need more fiber? Does he, you know, so then as a dad, you have this critical Ooh. like report back role. And um, I know for me, that's been easier to, to engage in because like I just couldn't get my head wrapped around. We did baby lead weaning and I just couldn't get my head wrapped around all of the sites and all of the books and all of the information. But I can tell you what his poo looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and we do find that's common. We ask lots of questions about poo and if we're wondering about yeah. other things happening in little people's tummies. And sometimes, you know, dads are the most reliable reporter of what is going on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That that and his we. Like just, you know, yes, he it was a heavy nappy, it was light yeah. nappy. Yeah. Um the other thing that that uh, in you know, we were talking about support during the breastfeeding was we had some feeding issues when we got back from hospital. So I, I um I, I played that crucial role of going to the pharmacy and asking, where do you keep your nipple shields? <laughs> um which <laughs> 
<laughs> anything else that was going to weird me out about parenthood in those early days, it instantly was okay because yes. <laughs> I don't think anything was more embarrassing than that. But even, you know, like as we, we were saying about the shame that's associated with not being able to breast or even having issues with breastfeeding. So, you know, like I think for me a role was, well, I'll be the contact with the lactation consultant just so it's an extra mental load you don't have to deal with or I'll get the bottles ready. Um, and and I think for dads, there's lots of things like that, that, yeah, you, you can still play a role without, yeah, having your head right across it the same way that a mum might have. And so, and that's really true, Adam, because sometimes even just, you know, as a dad, being the person that looks up the website and rings and makes the appointment for the support is such a critical step because, you know, mums are just exhausted and can't sometimes just, you know, getting the number to make the phone call in between feeding and putting bub to sleep. But also as mums, you know, you have that pressure from day one. And even when you know all of this stuff, like, you know, I remember, you know, when when our boys were little, especially my first, I remember taking him to be weighed, you know, after we'd come home from hospital and he was a couple of weeks old and he and he was like 20 grams off what he should have been put on, you know, put on in that time and walking out and bursting into tears and ringing my mum yeah. and my mum going, stop, you know, you know all this stuff. <laughs> So even when you have all that, you know, background and information and training, you know, there's that pressure on you as a mum that, you know, this is what I'm meant to do and, you know, I need to hit that weight or tick that box. Um, And so dads can kind of separate that emotional stuff a little bit in those early days. Um, And so being able to take over some of the coordination and functional stuff is is a big emotional burden off mum's shoulders, I think. Mm, Definitely. I wonder when when the dads are coming into clinic uh, with you guys for appointments. What's what's their role in that? What's their sort of reactions? What do you see from dads when they come in, and and how can a dad prepare? You know, for an appointment, say with a feeding consultant, or um, you know, or any of these sort of specialty roles that that um, families are accessing. I. <laughs> It's interesting. I'm not at a at a family level. When my husband and I go to appointments with our kids, we sometimes have a little bit of a chat before we go about who's going to take the lead role. Who? Um, well, you know more about this, so can you talk about that bit? So, so that we come in without you know, as a bit more of a united front, and it doesn't really matter what's going on in your marriage, I guess, entirely, but, you know, we're a bit more of a united front and we waste a whole lot less time going, oh, well, hang on, do you know that? Do you know that? What do you, you know, or interrupting each other. So we, you know, that I find that that would be a really good strategy. It's not something that we suggest to families because by the time they've got to us, it's too late. Um, but we as clinicians tend to spend a bit of time just watching the dynamic and knowing, you know, looking for the times where we think, oh, dad looked like he was going to say something and mum cut him off. Or mum looked like she was going to say something and dad cut him off, cut her off. So so then we'll say, oh, so what, you know, what what do you think about it? And try and draw that out of um, the other, other parent. Um, sometimes dads just come along so that they can play with the child while the mum's talking, which is great because, you know, particularly if dad works and is, isn't home in the day, um, he doesn't know a lot of that stuff, as you were saying before, Adam, But and we don't mind that either, but then they hear it. The nice bit is at the end they hear us pulling it together and they've both mm. heard it 
Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had anyone take up our offer yet, but we always say when dads don't come and mum says, oh, I don't know about dad, he's not going to say, you tell him to ring us then because we happily <laughs> have a chat to him because I really want to know what it is about the information mm-hmm. that he finds challenging. Was there something else, Carly, that you thought might... Um, no, and I guess just like if if both parents are planning to attend the appointment, just reading through the information we've asked them for prior to the appointment because then they kind of have the heads up of what's going to go on there. So, you know, Pippa and I, in our initial information to families, really step them through. This is what it's going to look like. This is what we're going to do. You know, this is what we'll send you home with. So you've got, and so they've kind of got that picture in their head already of what it might look like. You know, we talk about, we'll talk to you first and then we'll watch your child eat. Um, and if your child's not going to eat in the clinic, that's okay because we'll you take some video footage at home. Um, and so then, you know, you can tell the fathers that have read that information because they know what's going to happen in the session. Um, whereas, you know, others may have not have had a chance to and then, you know, are unsure why they're seeing a speech pathologist or an occupational therapist or those those kinds of roles. I I, I love that that tip of dad coming to to play with the child so that you know the, the appointment can actually happen. Um and that's something that like I know we did a lot of when he was younger, like you just both show up to everything and, and you do end up playing that role so that mom's not breastfeeding the whole time. Um, but yeah, it's something that, that I've sort of fallen out of practice with. So it's a good reminder of how I can get a bit of extra play time here if I go to this appointment and no one's going to, you know, judge me for going to a, <laughs> a health appointment for my son. So. And I'll say even as kids get older, um, it's, it's much, it, it feels a lot more like, oh, well, just one of you can go and you don't, you know, our kids who are all teenagers, we're always, we always feel like, oh, well, you, you know, you just take him or I'll just take her or whatever. But the times when we've both gone have been so, and we don't have a lot of appointments with our kids, but that when we've both gone, we have got so much more out of it because, as I said, we both hear the information and we both have a chance to be heard in, in what we want to say. Um, and then, and there's no repercussion at the end. So I sent my 16 year old with my husband to the GP and said, she needs a blood test. And it was his favorite GP. It's a male. And he goes, no, I don't do blood tests just because just tell your wife not to worry about it. So my husband comes over and goes, I'm like, Oh my gosh. He says, well, next time you should take it. And I was like, Oh, we'd both gone to support our daughter, that would have been a whole lot different. She, she knew why, you know, she's just 16, she's a girl, she needs, we need to check her iron. She knew, but she wasn't brave enough to say. And um, <laughs> my husband and the GP just got into some chat about, you know, local stuff. <laughs> he goes, no, she doesn't need that. Okay, off you go. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was the one I should have taken her to. Or we both. <laughs> so, you know, it's just less and less. It still is when you can both go, it's really important when they're big things. I mean, a blood test, who cares? Mm. Like we managed, we just did it a different way. But the bigger things like, you know, the gastroenterologist or the ENT or, um, you know, even a psychologist, better for both parents to go to the first one to, to get the information in the way they need it. I wonder if there's any last things that you'd want to say to, to families listening, whether it be about... Uh, accessing a feeding service or, or just parenting in general, like what would be your message to particularly to dads listening, but to families um, that, are, that are listening to this episode? 
um, they all grow up. (laughs) And most of the time they get there eventually in their own time. Um, And, you know, uh, we often say to parents, you know, um, what's the statistic? I think you only have to get it right 30% of the time. Um, And... And so, you know, when when you're doing the best you can do um, on those days with the information you have available to you, because sometimes a lot of the stuff, you know, around feeding that we talk to parents around, parents go, oh, why don't you, we know this stuff, um, you know? Um, this isn't in the baby book. And we'll know because you don't always need to know all this stuff if everything just happens smoothly and it's, and it's easy. And so for some kids, you know, learning to walk is a little bit trickier and they might need a little bit of extra help or learning to read is a little bit trickier and at school they might need extra help. But for some families, it's the learning to eat bit that is tricky. Um, and that's stressful in itself because, you know, feeding and, and nurturing our children is our first and foremost role from the day they arrive. Um, and so, you know, that's why we do get really stressed when, when eating is hard work, but definitely there's support out there. Um, and, and sometimes coming along to appointment is just that first step in putting your own worries and anxiety at, at ease. Um, my last bit of advice would probably just to follow your gut instinct and don't worry about what Instagram says or the book says or um, what your mother says or your mother-in-law. Um, and I think, you know, even students, when we have, when we have, we did a lot of work at the ACU student clinic and I would say to students, you know, this is the rule, but we have the rule so that when it's not working, we can work, we can figure out why. And so, you know, the rule is eat with your kids, have a nuclear family, sit down for meals, blah, 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 blah. But if that doesn't work for your family, then the rule's useless. We have to say, okay, that's a great rule. Why is the rule there? It's so that children can see us eat or that we have a good mealtime structure so we get hunger cycle. Well, are we getting that some other way? Yes. Then let's not worry about the rule of sitting at the table. There's probably millions of people in the world that don't sit at a table. Um, It's not the chair and the table. Or, again, in a lot of Western families, yes, it is about the chair and the table. But if if it doesn't work, what's the rule there for? And how do we break it down so that, so yeah, so if just follow what your gut's saying, this isn't right for our family, but we still need to get, you know, the basics, the physiological basics. Um, for our listeners who want to learn a bit more about your work or, you know, for our Brisbane-based families that want to access the, the Brisbane Feeding Clinic, what's the best way to find you guys? Probably via our website, so brisbanefeedingclinic.com, um, and we've got an inquiry form there so just filling that out and one of us will get in touch and we um we do quite a bit of our work by telehealth so even when we first started working together at the uni clinic we were consulting to Bhutan uh, for feeding so we've done a lot we've done uh telehealth feeding around the world uh and so happily we consult across Australia happily so yeah. they don't need to be awesome. in Brisbane in Brisbane they can come and see us but even then we do still do we've had a couple of telehealth with families that live almost in the next suburb 
and for whatever reason can get into the clinic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Pippa and Carly. It's um, as you we were just saying, like feeding is sort of the primary responsibility you have with a child when they're born and it, you do it from the day they're born. So it's such an important thing. Uh, and, and yeah, I think dad's, as we talked about, can have a bigger role in it than perhaps what we've previously talked about in, in families. And, um, yeah, I think a very important conversation and one that I think will bring a lot of new insights and tips and, and some helpful information there for our dads. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thank you. And we also want to thank our listener for tuning in today. If you haven't already, go check out our website at www.dadgroup.org. In this space, we've got some awesome resources for support for families, new and expecting families. Uh, There's a lot of mental health support there by some amazing organisations. On this website as well, you can also support Dad's Group through purchasing our merchandise or a solid donation would be amazing and help us impact the lives uh, of, of new and expecting families all around Australia. But thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys.